I don't know if you happen to follow us on Facebook or not, but Joe posted that song. I think I listened to it about a dozen times last night. Such a joy to sing it here this morning and to just lift up praise to God. Seems especially important given the series that we find ourselves in right now. And if you're a guest with us this morning, we're continuing this morning in a series called Marvelous God, Knowing Our Father Through the Psalms. And the whole point of this series is to ask the question, how do I experience God in relationship to Him? What does it mean for me to be in relationship with God? Because that's what the Bible tells us is accessible to us as followers of Christ, that we're in relationship with Him. So then what does it mean for me, for example, to know, how does it change me to know a holy God? How does it change me to know that He's holy, to know that He is unlike anyone or anything I have ever experienced in my life? How does it change me to know that God is in control, that He is completely sovereign over every circumstance? How does that change me? How does it change me to know that God knows everything about me, every last detail, even the ones I don't want Him to know? That God has seen the ugly parts of me and he stuck around and he loves me anyway. How does that change me? How does it change the way I see God? How does it change the way I see myself? How does it change the way I pray? How does it change how I view church? How does it change how I view worship? Those are the questions that we're asking through this series. And the reason we come to the Psalms is that the Psalms express the emotion of what it means to be in relationship with God. That the Psalms express poems and songs that are written by people who are seeking to understand what it means to know God. Not just to know things about God or to know different qualities of God, but to know what it means to walk in relationship with Him. And so this series, each week we're looking at a different psalm. Each week we're looking at a different characteristic of our marvelous God. Eight weeks, eight psalms, eight characteristics of God and what it means to be in relationship with Him. And this morning, we look at a fourth psalm in the series, halfway through our series in the psalms, and a fourth characteristic of our marvelous God. Now, I don't think it would come as a surprise to anybody this morning if I were to tell you that God is eternal. Does that surprise anybody to hear that? God is eternal. God is forever. God is always. He always has been. He always will be. But why do I care that God is like that? What difference does it make to me that God is eternal? Why does that matter? And what does it mean or what does it look like to be in a relationship with an everlasting God? What does that even mean? And how are we to change because of that? We're going to look at a psalm this morning that's going to speak to us on that topic. And before we open the word this morning, I would just ask if you would pray with me. Would you do that? Heavenly Father, you are God. You always have been. And you always will be. Lord, this morning as we come to your word, would you teach us, show us what you're like. Help us to understand why it matters that you are forever. Lord, would it change the way we see you? Would it change the way we worship you? Would it change 
what we think about you and even how we pray to you this morning. So would you teach us through your word and do a work in us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, if you would open your Bible to Psalm 90, if you're looking for the Psalms, if you just try to crack your Bible open right to the middle, you'll probably hit them. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we brought one for you. So if you look around on the seats, you'll probably see one nearby. You're welcome to grab that. You're welcome to use it. And you're welcome to take it home with you. If you'd like a copy of God's Word or you don't have one, we would love for you to have a copy of God's Word with you. So you're welcome to have that as our gift to you. Psalm 90 is the psalm that we're going to be looking at. And I want to start by just reading through it together. We're going to read through the whole thing and then we're going to walk through it together just to get a little better understanding of what we're hearing because like poetry, sometimes we read psalms and we just think, I don't know what that means. It sounds good, or in this case, maybe that sounds bad, but I don't really know what it means. So let's read it together and then we'll walk through it together. Psalm 90, starting in verse 1, says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Psalm 90, some of you may know, inspired a hymn. It inspired the hymn, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, which is a surprisingly upbeat song for a surprisingly depressing psalm. (laughs) Because as you read this, I'm sure you think, what are we going to talk about this morning? This sounds pretty heavy, actually. Now, that hymn is actually written around verses 1 and 2. So verses 1 and 2, it starts out pretty good, but then it gets pretty heavy pretty quick. But Psalm 90 is not quite as hopeless or not quite as heavy, not quite as dark as it sounds at first. So let's walk through it together and see what it is that we actually 
learn about our eternal God in Psalm 90. The first thing we learn is that God is eternal. No surprise, you already knew that and I already said that. But look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, usually when we think of the Psalms, we think of who as the author? David. Some of you will know this already because your Bible says that. Moses is the author of this psalm. And it kind of lends an interesting perspective to the beginning of this psalm because Moses, if you would remember, is the leader of Israel who brought them out of Egypt, led them out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. And Moses was the leader of a homeless nation that wandered around in the wilderness for a generation waiting to enter the promised land that Moses never actually got to. So Moses is the leader of the homeless Israel wandering around the desert for a generation of time, and yet he starts the psalm by saying what? Lord, you are my home. You have been our home forever. He says, you are where I belong. You are my refuge. You are my shelter. You are my safe place, Lord, God in heaven. Forever this has been true. You're from everlasting to everlasting And then what does he say? He says, you've been our home forever because you are forever. You are a forever God. Before the world was created, you were there. When the world fades away and ceases to be, you will be there because you were God. You have always been God. You will always be God. Moses declares, God, you are eternal, but we, not so much. Look with me, verse this eternal quality of God just emphasizes how unlike him we are as people. Look in these next few verses, starting in verse 3. It says this, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. So it starts out pretty good. God, you're everlasting. God, you're my home. And then it takes a really harsh turn at verse 3 and says, God, you return us to dust. What is that about? What is he even talking about? If you were to look back at the Genesis account, Genesis chapter 3 says that, from dust you were formed, and to dust you will return. Does anybody know like what context that comes in? This is a reminder of the fall. It's the curse of sin and disobedience before God. It's part of, it's a reminder of judgment. Return, that word is used here to remind us that we're under God's judgment, that we are mortal, that we are destined for death. We know that from Scripture that the price of sin is death. That's the price of it. That's the price of the fall. And because of our sin, we're under this death sentence. Now, I want you to remember this word return because it's going to come up again later in the Psalms. So just kind of put that away. But Moses is saying, God, you're forever, but we are destined for death. 
For you, a thousand years is like a day. It's like a, a watch in the night. A watch in the night would be like four hours. Lord, to you, a, a thousand years is like a couple of hours. It goes so quickly. You, you sweep people away, he says, like a flood. You just, they're like a passing consideration, like a dream, like a passing thought, just a moment, like, like grass. It's there and then it's dead and it's whatever. God, you are eternal and we are not. We're dust. We're grass. We're like nothing before you. Isaiah said it this way, the nations of the earth are a drop in the bucket. That's how Isaiah put it. The nations of the earth are like dust on God's scales. That God picks up the earth as if it were a grain of sand. Why all this language? Why all of this rather severe language? Why does Isaiah say it that way? Why does Moses say it that way? All of this does a couple of things. One, it attributes to God what is due him. Scale and grandeur and majesty. And it's, a, and it's, it's an attempt even a weak attempt to try to describe what God is like, just how big and how holy and how eternal and how marvelous God really is. And the other thing it does is it puts us into context in relation to that God that to us, a thousand years, which seems it's generations of people, to God is like a couple of hours Moses puts great emphasis on the difference between us and God and how unlike him we are. And then verse 7 and 8, he says this, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. I mean, it just keeps getting better and better, right? Verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. God, we are brought to an end by your anger. We are consumed by it. We're in distress because of your wrath. It's, your wrath is aimed at us because of our sin before you. Our sins are, are laid out before you. We talked about this last week. Our darkest things are laid out in the presence of God and just lit up by his glory. All of our rottenness and all of those things we want to hide away in the presence of God are just laid out right before him. How unsettling. We're under God's wrath, verse 7 says, and because of this we find ourselves in distress. Verse 8 alludes to God's justice that with our sin laid out before him, what excuse are we going to make? What are we going to say before a, a just God when all of our sins are laid out before him? Verse 9, a word of encouragement here. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. That is not like a sigh of satisfaction or a sigh of relief. Some translations would say, instead of sigh, they would say groan. So just think of it as like a groaning sigh. That's how our life ends. Just sort of a, ugh. I don't even know what a groan sigh sounds like. Just sort of a, ugh. Not, it's not good. It's not a good sound. It's not how you want your life to end. Verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. So nine, we live out our brief life before God under his wrath and then it just sort of ends with a, uh, uh, right? 
I'm getting better at that, the groan sigh. And then verse 10 says we get 70 years. Maybe if we're exceptional, we get 80 years. Now, I did a little bit of math on this, and that's hard for me, so I hope this is a testament to how much I love you. But I did a little math. If a thousand years to God, I mean, a thousand years to us is like four hours to God, then what does my life amount to in God time? It's a little bit under 17 minutes, 16.8 to be exact. Now, that's not exact because Moses isn't giving us a measurement like a time, like we can actually identify God time versus human time. It's an exaggeration saying he's eternal. It's actually way less than that. It's like nothing, really. But by this comparison, 17 minutes is all I have. But the good news is, to me, it's going to feel like 70 or 80 years of hard work and problems. (laughs) And then I'm going to die with a (laughs) Verse 11, look with me. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who really considers this truth? What we are in light of an everlasting God. Who really thinks about it? Who really considers it? Who really considers you, God, Moses is saying, Who thinks about these things? We live for the moment, which is ironic because that's the sum total of my life. 16.8 minutes in God time. Ultimately, the question is, who really fears you, God? Who really fears you? Who really considers the power of your anger? Who really considers the consequences of your wrath directed at me? Only when we think of it do we realize our position before Almighty God. Because we see the difference. And that's what Moses is trying to show us now. Eternal God, you not so much. And this is what your life amounts to apart from God. But it's no wonder I don't want to think about it. Who wants to think about this? I find myself under the wrath of God because of my sin. I have no excuse when I stand before him because my sin has just laid out all of my worst sins in the presence of God, in the light of his glory, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to experience a lot of pain and trial. And then I'm going to die for a life that has no significance. Oh, the significance of grass, maybe, or dust. This is possibly the worst psalm and worst sermon ever. Right? Who wants to hear this? Who wants to think about this? Nobody does. That's kind of Moses' point. And then he says, God, if you're eternal... And we are not. And I am undone before you. When I recognize who God is and who I am, I just come apart. Because I recognize who I am before God. Then Moses says, God, please put me back together. God, please fix it. Please do something. Because this is hopeless. Verse 12, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You are the eternal God. Right? You're God. You've, you've always been God. You're going to be God. You've seen a lot of people do this before. So teach me. Lord, teach me what to do with my brief time here. You know better than I do. How about you be God in my life? Teach me what to do with my limited time here. Give me wisdom. Where do I start? If I want to get 
wisdom? Where do I, where do I even begin? How would I know how to begin? Does the Bible give me any clue what, where the beginning of wisdom is? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible tells us. What did Moses just ask? Who fears you? Now give me wisdom. See how it works? See God for what he is. Understand my position before him. I fear God. And then I get some wisdom. I say, okay, you're God. I'm not. You're eternal. I'm like 16.8 minutes. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do because I don't know what to do. Teach us to fear you, to understand the truth of who you are as an everlasting God. And then he says, verse 13, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. There's that word again, return, remember? Last time he said, we return to dust. God returns us to dust, a reminder of the fall, a reminder of our judgment. And now Moses uses it to say, return to me, Lord. Return to us. Please turn back. Please have mercy on us. Lord, if this is true, then I am undone before you. Lord, would you have pity and have mercy and put me back together? Please turn it around. Because who wants to live a life in light of this reality? Would you please turn it around and then watch as the psalm turns each piece around? Watch verse 14 and 15 says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Now, if you have your Bible in front of you, look back at verse 9. If you don't, just listen. That's okay. In verse 9, he says, all our days pass away under your wrath. Verse 14, he says, let us know joy and gladness all our days as we experience your love. Do you see how he turned it around? Experience joy and gladness all our days because of God's love. Verse 10, look back there. He says, the years of our life are toil and trouble. And then verse 15, he says, make us glad for as many years of our life as we've seen evil. Verse 16 and 17, he says, this is the end of the psalm. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses says, do something with us that's lasting. Let us see you, everlasting God. Let us see you work. God, would you show your power and glory to the generations, to our children beyond us, God. Do a work that lasts longer than our 16.8 minutes. God, do something. Instead of letting our lives end with a sigh, groan, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. He says it twice. He says it twice on purpose. He says it twice for emphasis. He's saying, please, Lord, let us do something that has eternal significance. You do something with it because we can't. Do you see? What it means to be in relationship with an everlasting God is that Moses can turn to him and say, please help because I understand now how it works. I understand now who you are and who I am. God, you are going to endure. And in partnership with you, I have an opportunity to do something that means something long-term 
really means something that outlasts myself. Here's the whole point of the psalm, I think. God is not just the opposite of our condition. What the psalm illustrates to us is how unlike God we are. And it attributes all these things to God, and it says all these things about who we are, and they're, they're opposite. But God is not just the opposite of our condition. He is the solution to our condition. He's not just the opposite. He's the answer. Do you see? An eternal God puts into context our lives. It puts it into a new context. It puts it into a God context. And all of a sudden, we see our life for what it really is. We see how unlike God we really are. But here's the thing. While he may be unlike us, the truth is he really likes us. He may be really unlike us, but he really likes us. How do we know that? Verse 15, he says, Lord, would you replace our pain with gladness? Would you give us as many good days as we've had bad days? Well, guess what? If you finish the story through the end of Scripture and look at it from where we are, past the New Testament, Jesus has come and died and been raised from the dead. God blows the lid off of that request from Moses. Moses says, Lord, give me as many good days as bad days. And God says, I could do better than that. I'll give you all good days. I'll give you good days forever. Because the end of the story, God's ultimate plan of Scripture is complete restoration of our relationship with him. God says, I'll make it all better. I'll make all of your days good forever. Because I am your home. I am your refuge. I am your safe place. And even though you've rejected me, and even though you're nothing like me, even though generations pass by me in a moment, I love you. You're going to have eternal life. You're going to have it with God or you're going to have it apart from God. That's the truth. And God says, I want you to have it with me. I want you to be with me forever. So I sent my son. I sent him to die in your place so that you no longer live under my wrath. Do you know why? Because I poured out all of my wrath on my son because it was satisfied on the cross. And in his resurrection, I demonstrated my power over sin and over death and over Satan. And now I just say, come and find your home in me. And in your despair, as you read through the middle of this psalm and you think, oh no, eternal God, and I'm under wrath. God says, in your despair, as you see me for who I am, I want you to run to me instead of running from me. That's how this should work. Because I love you and because I offer complete forgiveness. All of those sins that are laid out before me, I will wipe them all away like a flood. Because I love you and I'm a safe place. What a marvelous God. Don't you think? What a marvelous God that that is true of him. God is eternal. God is forever. He always has been God. He's always going to be God. And as we understand that and as we're confronted with how brief our own lives are in a God context, 
then the question is this. For me, at least, as I think about this, I'm struck with, what am I doing with my life? I mean, just think for a minute. What am I doing with my life? What do I care about? What do I spend my time doing? What am I focused on? Where do my days go? I mean, 70 years is starting to feel pretty short now, even to me. We spent the morning dedicating these beautiful kids and celebrating with these beautiful families and looking ahead to these lives that are full of promise. But promise of what? Promise of toil and hard work and sin and a blah. Is that what we're looking forward to? Is that what we hope for, for our children, for these children? Or do we hope for lives of eternal significance that are surrendered to Jesus, that are lived for his glory in anticipation of heaven? Because that's what's offered to us as followers of Jesus, which is way better, by the way, way better than the alternative. Moses says, teach us to number our days and give us wisdom so that we would steward our brief time that we have here. I have a friend who did exactly that. Some of you have been wondering this whole time when I'm going to talk about this. thought it was just a decoration, but it's not. I have a friend who did exactly this, numbered his days, literally counted how many days he thought he would live, and then he purchased, this is a true story, I worked with him, purchased that many blood-red marbles. And he put them in a container where he would see them every morning. And every morning he would get up and he would take one out. It's about as close as I could get. He would take a marble out of the container and he'd put it away. There's a day. There's one of my days gone. And what he told me what he would do is he would, in the morning he'd wake up and he would grab a marble and he'd just hold it for a while and just consider it. Sometimes he said he'd just hold it up to the light and he'd just think about it. What am I going to do today? How am I going to spend today? Because it's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me a marble. It's going to cost me another day of my life. Every morning. It's not an infinite number of marbles in there. They run out. Why do I bring this up? Man, we are busy. We are just so busy. I'm talking to myself, (laughs) but I know I'm talking to a bunch of you. The question is, what are we busy doing? What are we busy doing? How are we spending our marbles? Because we only have so many. A lot of us are busy doing good things. Even in the church, I think we're really good at keeping people busy doing good things, but not always busy doing God things. And there is a difference. There is a difference. We have so little time. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to spend it? We said early on as a church that we wanted to be the church to our friends and our families and our neighbors We wanted to be the representation of Jesus in their lives. That was our goal. That we didn't want to like play church, but we wanted to be the church. We actually wanted to be like Jesus to the people around us. 
We said that Sunday morning would be the time that we get together and we praise God together and we share the joys of our lives and we share the heartaches of our lives and we look to God's word and we say, how should we live? And then we go out during the week and we live it out. That Sunday would be like our pep rally to inspire us to go out and live another day for Jesus. But what have we done? Have we done that? Have we done that? Or have we just reserved a day for Jesus? That's the question. The goal is that we would surrender our lives to him, that we would surrender our days to him. That every day that moves from this container to that container would be surrendered to him completely. That we would stop trying to be the God of our lives and we would let God be God, since he always has been and he's always going to be. Let's let him be God. And let's follow him. Certainly, my hope would be that one of these days, I would make the choice to follow him. And for many of you in this room, you've made that choice already. You've chosen to follow him. You've surrendered your life to him. But for some of you today, you've never made that choice. Man, I hope that one of these days in your container is the day that you will surrender your life to Christ. Because a life apart from him is like dust and grass and that grown sigh. It is really hopeless. And God says, I offer you hope and I want you to be with me forever. I want you to be with me. And if that's you this morning, if you're in this room this morning and you haven't done that, would you consider that today? Would you make today the day that you think about doing that? Think about it. We would love to have that conversation with you and we'd love to point you to Jesus. I'll end with this. My concern for us as a church family is that we would be really careless with these, that our lives would be more like this. We just, the days just go fast. Where'd all the days go? I don't know, I'm just busy. I'm just busy doing stuff. Oh no, I'm running out of days. This is kind of how my life feels sometimes. Anybody feel that way? Ah, this one's starting to look like that one. Where have all my days gone? Let's not be careless with our days. Let's surrender them to the Lord. Let's not give up our days for things that just wash away. Let's not give up our, things for things that have no, our days for things that have no significance. Lord, would you establish the work of our hands and let us do something that rings for an eternity. Let us do something of eternal significance with our lives. That ought to be our prayer as a church Let's care most about God's glory and God's kingdom and let's help each other be more like Jesus. Let's care most that our friends and our families and our neighbors and those that we love know how desperately God loves them because we tell them because we've reserved the days to do that. That almighty, eternal God who is so unlike us really likes us and wants to be with us forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're going to worship you now, but Lord, would you convict us? For those of us who follow you, Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning, and would you convict us of those things in our life that are just robbing our time? Lord, would you help us to lead lives of eternal significance? 
we want to do something that lasts in partnership with you, and we just thank you and praise you for inviting us into relationship with you. Lord, we're so grateful. Lord, would you teach us to number our days? Would you help us to fear you? Would you give us wisdom? We pray this in your name. Amen.